So it's great to be, with, be here with all of you this morning and those of you that are watching online. As you know, Pastor Brad just mentioned that we had a, a two-week mini-series called Monuments of Grace that Jack uh, kicked off last week, and he told um, a story of Rahab. You know, and in his story, he talked, when he talked about Monuments of Grace and Rahab being that monument of grace, he said, what a wonderful God we have that can reach down and grab a normal, everyday person like you and I, broken, and use us for his plan and his promises as a monument of his grace. So today, we're going to continue, we're going to, I'm going to conclude that two-week mini-series, Monuments of Grace, but I'm going to talk about Hagar, not Sammy. <laughs> and I, I, I'm joking because I, when I tell people, I, I've said to some people, oh, I'm, what are you speaking on? Oh, I'm going to speak on Hagar. Oh, Sammy? No, not Sammy. A different Hagar. A Hagar who isn't a normal everyday person like you and I, broken and in this life, and God reaches down and uses her as a monument of her grace. So for those of you that want to follow along in the Bible today, we're going to be in the first book, in Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 15, and I'll be teaching from the NLT, the New Living Translation. Before I get into the word, I want to tell you a story. Those of you that know me, and I've got about two rows of family and friends in the back who know me very well, know I like to tell stories. So this story happened about seven years ago. I was still working at the community college. I hadn't come to the church yet. And I was driving one morning. It was a Monday morning, and I think it was in in September. It was super cloudy and gloomy. It was probably, I don't know, 45 or 50 degrees and I'm driving along Telegraph Road headed north. And I'm coming up to that area where Telegraph, those of you that have been up north toward, toward Monroe, where it separates. You know, there's northbound and then southbound, and there's some trees that you have to watch for deer when you're driving through there on, on either side. And then there's only a couple roads that cut over. So anyway, so I'm driving in the truck, and I'm, I'm going up, and maybe I was kicking to some Hagar. I don't know. Um, and I look up ahead. And it's getting daylight, and I see this young man walking. He's got a guitar strapped on his back, and he's got a big old garbage bag full of something, and I have no idea what it is. But I'm getting closer, and I start, I start to have this, boy, you know, it's kind of cold. And, and, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with that, that area, but it's probably about four or five miles from anything, right? So I don't know how long he's been walking. And I'm headed to Monroe, and he's probably, I don't know, six or seven miles at least from that. So I start to have this conversation with myself about, oh, man, I should really pick this guy up. I should really give him a ride. You know, I don't know how long he's been walking. And then, well, I don't know him. You know, am I going to be safe? I got to get to work. It's Monday morning. You know how you got to kick the week off. You got to get started at work, you know, and I don't want to be late. And I think, oh, and I'm coming up, I'm coming up to that, to him and to that last crossing, one of the last crossings to cut over for a couple of miles. 
And all of the sudden, the rain just lets loose. Just, I mean, pouring down. And I go, okay, God, I got it, I got it. <laughs> I, turn into the, I turn into the drive, and I swing around, and I pick him up. And he goes, oh, yeah, man, thanks for the ride. And we, we, he had a bag of cans. That's what the bag was. We threw his cans in the back of the truck. He jumps in the front. And we started the conversation with a normal conversation that you might have with a stranger, and that is, hey, where are you coming from? Where are you going? So we, he started telling me a story, and I, I don't have time to tell you the whole story because we talked for about seven miles, but he was telling me his story, and he's headed somewhere, and he's, he's going to get a ride from somebody, and he's, somebody's got a job for him lined up, and he, he's going to get a bus ticket to take him wherever this job is, and he's almost there. He's almost got enough money for this bus ticket. Well, I don't know, you guys don't know me that well, but my wife does, and she knows I never have cash on me. So we get, we get to our destination, and we have this nice conversation, and, and I happen to have 20 bucks in my wallet. So I grab my wallet out, and I say, hey, man, I, this is all I got, and I don't know if it'll get you to your ticket or not, but maybe it'll get you close. And he said, yeah, well, I got these cans I'm going to turn into. So. And I said, I don't, I, don't, I don't know much about you, but... And I don't know where you are spiritually, but I said, can I pray for you? He said, I'm not much of a spiritual guy, but sure, why not? So we did. And I gave him the 20 bucks, and he thanked me and said he enjoyed the conversation. And I said, is there anything else you need? He looked down. He looked in the seat, and I had a brown, one of those brown paper lunch bags sitting there. It wasn't much. I I was trying to lose weight. (laughs) And And you can see I haven't done so well. So, so I look, there's my, this little bag, and I think, I don't know, I, Deanna made me a half a turkey sandwich and threw an apple in there and maybe a granola bar or something. I said, I, I said dude, I don't have much, but you're, you're welcome to have it. He goes, oh, man, I'm hungry. I could, I could really use that. So I gave him, I gave him my lunch bag, and I <clears throat> said goodbye to him and went my way. Now, I don't, I don't know what God's plan is for him, and at that point, I didn't know what his plan was for me to even stop. But I do know it was his grace that caused me to stop. And so that's what, that's what this series is about. You know, it's about you and I, every day in our lives, everyday people, being monuments of God's grace. And Hagar's no different. Hagar is a monument of God's grace. Just, just to reiterate what Jack taught us last week. When you think of a monument, what do you think of? Some of you might think of the Washington Monument or the Lincoln Memorial. Put a picture up there. Some people talk about those and how famous those monuments are. Or how about this one? Look at the next one. A 52 and a half meter statue of Christ the King in Poland. It's a monument. It's meant to be a representative to point us to, to remind us of people, events, places. We call it a monument. So that's a monument. What about grace? What's your definition of grace? I think, is it something that you, you, Jack said it's something that's given freely. What do you think about it? I think Paul, in 2 Timothy 1.9, he gives us 
an excellent definition of grace. And I'll read it to you. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. The grace given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Not because of something that we do. Not because of something that we do. Something that glorifies God. A monument of his grace. Like Rahab. And now Hagar. So we turn to Genesis 16. 1 through 15. Now before I, before I start reading from the verses, let me give you a little context. So we have sort of, we have four main characters in this story, right? The first is Abram. And those of you, uh, we're in 16, those of you that read chapter 17, you know it's soon to be Abraham, right? But it's Abram in, in 16. Abram is a rancher. He's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of animals. And he has a lot of servants. So he's got it going on. He's doing all right. Sarah is his wife. In our story today, when we get to chapter 16, Abram is 86. And Sarai, chapter 17, soon to be Sarah, is about 10 years younger. And then Hagar, an Egyptian servant girl, acquired by Abram and Sarai, we think by one of the pharaohs, we don't know for sure, there's, there's, there's a lot of speculation about that, but acquired in one of, the, of Abram's visits with the pharaoh or a king, and she serves them. And kind of the highlight of our story today. And then the last character is the angel of the Lord in this story. So, a little more context. In chapter 15, God promises Abram many descendants. The only problem is he doesn't have an heir. Sarah hasn't had any children. She's barren, so he doesn't have an heir, but God promises him that he will have many descendants, and he promises him a new land. And so here we are, fast forward 10 years in chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Very important. She said, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. And this happened ten years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. Sarah is blaming God for not having an heir, not having a child. He said, he promised. It's been 10 years. 10 years is a long time. Proverbs 13, 12 tells us, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Somebody said it, thank you. So Sarah's blaming God. 
So what do we do as humans? And we're so patient, right? We're so patient and waiting, even at a stoplight, right? Ten years, it's a long time. Sarai says, I got an idea. Let's just help God along with his plan. And she has this idea that she takes to Abram, and Abram agrees. You see what's happening here. What happens when we tend to take matters into our own hands? Oh, boy. Verse 4. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. Guys, you with me? If this, if this were a sermon on marriages, woo, be a good one, right? Yeah, we don't have time for that. We're not going there. <clears throat> this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. You guys see the picture. Abram, yes, dear. Now, Sarai, your fault. You did this. And we're going to let God decide who's right and who's wrong. Well, is this Sarai's mess? I don't know. You know, Abram had a choice. He could have been the spiritual leader and said, look, Sarai, I get it. I'm frustrated too. It's been 10 years. God hasn't fulfilled that promise yet. I understand that. But this is not right. God has a plan. He's promised. We should stick to it. He didn't do it. So who's to blame? I say both. But let's see. Abram replied, hey, look, she's your servant. You deal with her as you see fit. And Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. What a mess. So you see we have this, this huge conflict between Sarai and Abram. They're in a mess. This quandary of their own creation. They made these decisions. They decided to do this, and now here they are. Hagar has become prideful. I mean, she, she had nothing. She was a servant girl, right? She had nothing. She was invisible. Nobody saw her. She just took care of things. Now all of a sudden, she has a surrogate womb. And that was done in those days. If a family didn't have an heir, that they would use a servant as a surrogate womb. It wasn't done in, in hospitals and with planning like it is today. And then, then there's Hagar. She didn't ask for this. She didn't. Did they go to her and say, did Sarah go to her and say, hey, Hagar, what do you think of Abram? Huh? Yeah? What do you think of this whole idea of becoming a surrogate mother? We'd love to have you involved and do it with grace and love. No. They just told her what she was going to do. She's in the middle of this mess because 
of their actions because of Abram and Sarai. You ever find yourself in the middle of a mess because of someone else's decision? Because of something that they did or didn't do? And you're caught in a mess, but you didn't have anything to do with it. This is the same thing. Hagar is in this mess. And what's her answer? I'm out of here. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know where to go with this. She has nobody to turn to. So she just takes off. She's about to learn about somebody to turn to. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. And there's nothing sure about the road to Shur. And I say that because when I did research, Shur is on the, the northeast boundary of Egypt. And in the Bible, it's called wilderness, but we all know it as desert. Nothing there. Nothing. It's just wilderness and desert. Here we have this young woman who's about to be a mom, doesn't have any place to go and anybody to turn to, and she's wandering in the middle of the desert. But the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, first time that Hagar is referred to by her name, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. Where have you come from? Where are you going? Hagar had no idea. Hagar had no idea. She didn't know any plan. She just knew what she was running from. She just tells the angel that I'm running from my mistress. You know, God... Jesus, even in the New Testament, used parables and asked us all kinds of questions to get us to think about our situations and things. And that's exactly what this, the angel of the Lord is doing with Hagar when he asked that question. She had no idea. And then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Now, I can only imagine that Hagar probably went, what? I got to go back to that? Do you know what a mess that is? He said, return, submit to her authority. And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. A promise. A promise. Now she has something to go on. She has a promise from the angel of the Lord. An angel of the Lord who she really doesn't know She's in Egypt, she's an Egyptian girl, and I can only imagine that the gods she worshipped didn't talk to her or find her at the well. Kind of sounds like in the book of John, Jesus finding the Samaritan woman, doesn't it? Sounds familiar. Told her everything about her life. Used her as part of his plan. A monument of grace. And the angel of the Lord also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael which means God hears. For the Lord has heard you. God bless you. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. The Lord has heard your cry 
of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man. Oh, boy. As untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will raise, or everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. I don't think she listened to the last part much, because she was still living on the promise. She was grasping that God, this God hears her. He hears her distress. He knows what situation that, excuse me, she's in, and he knows where she's coming from, and he knows where she's going. He hears her, and he understands. Verse 13, thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. In Hebrew, it's El-Roi. El-Roi, she called him. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Bir Lahai Roi, which means well of the living one who sees me. And it can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. Not only does our God hear us, he sees us. And he sees Hagar in the midst of her distress. This this young woman who by all intent and purpose is invisible. She's just a servant, Egyptian servant girl. Right? But now, now she has a promise. A promise that she will have many descendants. Verse 15. So Hagar gave Abram a son. And Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. The promise begins to fall into place. Hagar, this invisible servant girl, God reaches down. He hears her and he sees her and he uses her as part of his bigger plan. She becomes the grandmother of the Arab nation, Ishmael. This isn't the end of Hagar's story. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 21, God does fulfill his promise to Abraham and Sarah now. And Isaac is born. And so there's another story. And we don't have time for that today. I wish we did, but we don't. And then again in in Galatians 4... Paul writes about Hagar. The story of Hagar, a monument of grace. We have some fill-ins and some points that I'd like you to think about and take with you today on the back of your handout. What does Hagar's story teach us about being monuments of God's grace? Number one, despite our circumstances and situations, God's promises prevail. Being where we are today, we see that. We read it in the Bible. Back then, they're starting to see it fall into place. God keeps his promises. We must have faith, even when we don't feel like it, even when it seems like the plan isn't happening according to the way I want it to happen. What's taking so long, God? Right? He has a plan and a promise. 
And I thought of Romans 10, 9 and 10 as I studied that. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. God's grace, the promise, all we have to do is have faith. Number two, even when we think our way is better, God's plan is rock solid. Even when we think our way is better. Sarah, Sarai and Abram thought their plan was better. They thought, <clears throat> Sarah, Sarai thought she was going to give God a little help. We'll just, we'll just help him out. Let's help him out with this plan. Maybe it'll move a little faster. No. How about Hagar? Caught in the middle of it. A mess. Not by her doing, but what does she choose to do? She skates. She's out of there. Right? Not God's plan. He finds her, saves her. He saves her at the well. I told you that, that Shur was a desert and wilderness. That young pregnant woman, do you think she would have survived cutting across there with no water and food? I doubt it. He saved her. Even in our brokenness, even when we're running from something, even when we don't know what to do, he's got a plan. And it's rock solid. We just have to listen to him. Number three. Well, before we get to number three, I thought of some scripture. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. He had a, he had a plan for Hagar, a future, and he gave her hope, just like he does for us. Hagar was a monument of grace. Number three, when we feel invisible like Hagar or lost or caught in the middle of a mess like she is, God sees us. He sees us. He hears us. It doesn't matter if we're suffering. It doesn't matter if it's disappointment. It doesn't matter if it's joy, laughter. It doesn't matter. He sees us. No matter what, good or bad, and he has a plan and a promise, and he sees us. Even when it's a disappointment. And I don't know, I don't know where you are. Maybe you, maybe you feel like God doesn't see you. Maybe you're at a point in your life like Hagar. She didn't know he does he does we have to listen we have to hear he sees us and I thought of some scripture there too Psalm thirty-three, thirteen: the Lord looks down from heaven and he sees the whole human race he sees us all of us monument of grace to everyone else Hagar seemed invisible and insignificant, invisible and insignificant, but not to God, not to God. He saw her, 
He heard her, and he had a plan and a promise for her. Because of his grace, it is because of his grace that she had faith when he found her in the desert and made the promise. You see, Rahab and Hagar are just like us. They're just normal people in everyday life that God reaches down and grabs a hold of and uses for his plan, for his good, and for his glory. You know, I didn't tell you that story about the young man I picked up because of me. It had nothing to do with me. That was to glorify God. I don't, I don't believe in coincidence. So you can think what you want, but I'm driving along, and there's that man, and I'm having these thoughts, and that rain came down. God said, turn that truck around. Give this guy a ride. Why did I have 20 bucks in my pocket that morning? I don't know. Deanna gave it to me. I don't know. Whatever. I did. Because it was part of the plan. He saw me. He saw him. He used me as a monument of grace. Not for me. Not for something that I I would do. But for him. Reflections. Remember a monument? Something that represents something else. And for us, it's God to be a reflection of him, his grace, a monument of his grace. Hagar is a monument of grace. When I was doing this in my notes, I wrote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. So none of us can boast about it. It's not about us. It's not about what we do. It's about him and being what we're created to be. You see, knowing that he sees us gives us faith. Knowing it, we can have faith just like Hagar. And faith, like Hagar, gets you through the wilderness, whatever that might be. I don't know. Whatever it is, it gets you through. I know I've been through mine. And it's faith that allows us to be monuments of grace. And There are so many stories. I look around and I see people that I know. I mean, the last two rows are full of my family and friends who are monuments of grace to me. who've helped me through difficult times, who helped me see that God sees me and sees them, teaching me every day about all of the things that we need to know about this life and that we don't belong here. It's about the future. It's about God's plan. And that we are to be monuments of grace. You know, we were sitting there, um, my sister-in-law and my brother and Ian and I were playing marbles the other night. And she started telling me, and I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but it's a beautiful story. She had this coworker that treated her badly. There was something that changed at work. It wasn't either their faults, but my sister-in-law took the blame for it. Julie took the blame. And this woman treated her poorly. 
All that to say, she says, oh, I'm having, I'm having lunch with so-and-so next week. I said, oh, you're a monument of grace. She smiled, but she is. That person who treated her wrongly, that, that, that person, I don't know what she does in her life, but she's going to see the light of God through her as a monument of his grace. Deanna has a friend, my wife Deanna has a friend that calls her in the middle of the night sometimes. She's struggling with all kinds of life issues. She has mental health issues, and she calls Deanna to talk to her, to, to help her. Deanna talks to her. She shares scripture with her. She shares devotions with her. And every single time she talks to her, she invites her to church. I haven't seen her yet, but that's okay. Someday she's just going to show up because he's going to speak to her. She's going to understand that he sees her. Deanna, monument of grace. I think it's a question for us to pray on. Am I living as a monument of God's grace? Are you living as a monument of God's grace? Are you doing what you are created and called to do to represent him to those around you, to love them, even when it's not easy? Pastor Brad said following Jesus is simple, but it's not easy. He says that all the time. And as I was praying about this, I this ver- these two verses from Matthew came to me. I love these verses. And then this morning, I'm, I'm standing up there waiting for church to start, and my phone goes off, and it's my you version. Give me the verse of the day, and wouldn't you know it's part of this verse. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts a basket, puts it under a basket, Instead, the lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all those to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Not you, him. It's about him and his glory. Let people see the light. It's what you're created to do, to be a reflection and a representative of him. So those of you that come regularly know that the last five minutes or so, we have uh, a prayer response. And so our prayer today is going to be about being a monument of grace. It's kind of, I think, I think it's the next slide, Nate. It's not, it's not very big, but I'll read it to you. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read this, and then we're going to have some silent prayer just for, just for a little bit. I'm going to ask you to pray about being and living a monument of grace. And I don't know what what your challenge is. I don't know what your difficulties are. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know your joys. But you do, and so does God. So I'm going to start us, and then I'm going to give you some time to pray to yourself. And I I want you to close your eyes and pray. And I don't know if you feel invisible. Maybe you think God doesn't see you. I know that he does, even though you don't feel that way. Hagar didn't know it. She didn't feel it. He showed up. How do you listen? How do you see him? Read his word. Be around people that believe. Listen for his voice. Listen for his voice. 
So I'm going to read this, and then you're going to pray silently, and then I'm going to close us in prayer, okay? Here we go. Heavenly Father, thank you for your abundant grace. Grace that I receive through the gift of Jesus Christ. He is my hope, my rest, and my peace. As I leave here today, help me to be a monument of your grace. Bye. Please pray silently. Heavenly Father, you give us promises that we keep, that we can, that you keep and that we can bank on. You have a plan. Even when our plan we think is better, you have the best plan. It's rock solid. Your plan is the plan we ask that you bestow upon us. You see us. And I don't know about all my friends that are here, but you do. I'm going to ask you right now, Father, pray. We're praying for those who may not see you or feel like you don't see them. We ask that you're with them. We ask that you show them, just like Hagar in the desert. Hear them and see them, Lord. I don't know about others who might have disappointment that's keeping them from being a monument of your grace, sorrow, or even those who are joyful and who aren't always living in a manner as to be a monument of your grace. We ask that you help all of us, Lord, so that we leave here today like Hagar and so many in this room who teach us to be monuments of grace. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.